Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Welcome to Park Avenue Podcast. We have been in dialogue with members of the Park Avenue Synagogue community. We have been in dialogue with people who are friends of the Park Avenue Synagogue family. And today we are in touch with both because Peter Geffen has been and got his start in the Park Avenue Synagogue community as a Jewish educator when hired in 1967 at the age of 21 by Rabbi Joe Wernick, the principal of the Park Avenue Synagogue Religious School. He was tasked then to create a post-bar bat mitzvah program that would keep Park Avenue Synagogue kids involved with the synagogue and Jewish education. The result then was called the Park Avenue Synagogue High School, which we now know as the Judah High School, which Peter headed for 18 years and drew hundreds of students several times each week, summer trips to Israel, former Soviet Union, across Eastern Europe to the West, and most significantly to North Africa, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, and Iran, long before these were Jewish destinations. The pictures of Park Avenue Synagogue High School students and staff meeting privately with Anwar Sadat in the summer before Camp David are truly historic. Now, we'll get to the rest of Peter's bio momentarily, but Peter, since uh, this podcast is dropping, I could literally talk to you about 8,000 things, but we are dropping this podcast, A, the week prior to MLK Day, where we'll turn our attention um, to, to the memory and honor the legacy and continue the sacred work of Martin Luther King, Jr. of blessed memory, B, this is happening um, the day before the 18th of Tevet, which is the yard site, the memorial of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who passed away in 1972. Um, and we are going to be remembering his yard site as a Jewish community uh, tomorrow. And, and number three, I'm delighted to share the news that on the afternoon of January 28th, as part of our podcast, uh, excuse me, as part of our Shabbaton, the Lyman Maisel Shabbaton, Peter and I will be in dialogue in the afternoon, continuing this conversation um, about Heschel um, on this month that we turn our attention to his memory. So, um, Peter, first of all, welcome. It is great to have you here. Thank you very much. You know, you're, you're, um, you're speaking to me. You're in the Park Avenue Synagogue, but the Park Avenue Synagogue is in my brain and heart permanently. And I mean that very sincerely. You know, my, my friendships with families and with former students remain to this day. And it's already, you know, long beyond a half a century ago. So it's really quite incredible. So, so I have to uh, start there and we'll, we'll get to other elements of your career, but really focus our attention on um, Heschel and King. 
but I, I want to ask, um, what, was, what were the Wild West days like back then? When you, 1967, Rabbi Nadich was a rabbi. You were the prince. You were the, the high school uh, guy. What, what was Park Avenue like back then? So first of all, in the sanctuary, and therefore the community officially, was very formal. We still had uh, ushers in morning suits, you know, with top hats. Uh, Rabbi Nadich wore uh, a a top hat, and um, and uh, it was and and you know the chazan had a big black, you know, and on the high holidays, big white one of those turban like things, and it was a very formal kind of place. And there we were tasked with trying to convince bar and bat mitzvah kids to stay after their bar and bat mitzvah. And very simply put, what what we did was we brought together a group of students and said to them, what would, uh, what, what would make you stay here? And their answer was that if we're not wasting our time, then we'll come. And it was, and then the task was for us. And I was lucky. I was, my friends were all in graduate school. So we hired John Ruskay, who most of you know as the now director emeritus, executive director of UJ Federation. But then he was a PhD student in Middle East politics at Columbia University. We hired Alan Mintz, the late Alan Mintz, became the, one of the greatest Agnon scholars in the world. He was this brilliant graduate student in Hebrew literature and on and on. Those were the faculty. So all of a sudden you had kids, even from their great private school educations, and they were called private schools in those days, um, they were getting something at Park Avenue that they couldn't get even in school. And not only because it was Jewish, because in general, it was really profound. So we had kids coming to us. Friends came with their Jewish friends who were not Jewish to, to the Park Avenue right. High School. You know, it's amazing because the, the, the principles of youth education remain, the, you know, different as Park Avenue may be than in Rabbi Nadich's day, uh, teens operate the same way. If their time is well spent, if they feel that they vote with their feet, um, now, you went, went from Park Avenue Synagogue to found um, the Abraham Joshua Heschel School, which actually this year is celebrating its 40th anniversary, um, the largest pluralistic Jewish school in the country, uh, inclusive of my four children, uh, who add to those numbers. Uh, and I, just tell me, what prompted you? Did you have a relationship with the late Rabbi Heschel, what was it about him, his personality, his theology, of all the different ways to to think about Jewish education? You chose uh, to honor him uh, uh, some ten years after his passing by founding a school in his name. Well, there's a whole story. Do you want that story now, or do you want that story on the twelfth? Well, you, you can you can hit the highlights, and then when we speak at the Shabbaton, you can uh, without speak the in details. What I would say is the inspiration for the Heschel School really starts with the concept of, of integration of curriculum. So the Park Avenue Synagogue High School, as it was emerging, was in reality a place of curricular integration between the subject matter of the general world, the things that kids were studying in school, and the issues that were facing the Jewish people, both classical textually and in terms of history, politics, and all of the expansive pieces beyond. So as 
the years went by, and as in particular we were building the the building on 87th and Madison, it became clear to me that there was an irony in that that building, other than the early childhood center on the top floor, was going to be empty all day long until four o'clock in the afternoon. And that seemed crazy. Second part is that I was never a person who had an interest in day schools. I felt they were they were removing Jewish kids from the mainstream and that that was not a good idea. But one day sitting in my office, probably a few floors under where you're sitting at the moment, I began to think about who were my inspirations. And the, f- the most powerful ones were John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Abraham Joshua Heschel. And my joke is they all went to yeshiva. They all went to you know, private schools of one kind or another. And they became my models for humanism, for outer directedness, for engagement with the other, et cetera. So then I began to question my own assumptions. And I thought, you know, maybe my assumption is not correct. Maybe if the education is a, is rightly directed, it will draw out of the student a power and inspiration for the very values that I'm saying might only be accomplished in the public school system. And then I began to think about what such a school would look like. And I began writing all kinds of descriptions. They always fitted into a page or two. I shared them with some friends. They offered some critiques. Um, Finally, at the very end, I had a nice piece of paper, no name. And I then had a story, which I will tell you on the 28th, and I needed a name. And I was sitting at my IBM Selectric typewriter and Maimonides, Akiba, Hillel, all these names that are on Jewish schools. And then I realized, of course, the only name was Heschel because he was the manifestation and epitome of what I was talking about, a combination of integration of the world's Jewish, so-called Jewish and secular, but of the worlds of ideas and thought. And secondly, a school, a community, a set of values that were directed to the issues of justice and mercy that uh, that we face every day. Right. Did you did you have a personal relationship with uh, Rabbi Heschel? At the point of the naming of the school, I had I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it a personal relationship. He had passed away ten he years before. Away. I had only taken. I'm too young to have been a student of his. I took a couple of courses with him. He was um, a challenging teacher, and I was very young in uh, in the seminary school of Jewish studies. So I'm not sure that I would say. So, so let me ask you, because, you know, I, I did my doctorate in mid-century theologians, and sometimes these theologians are like timepieces, and we understand them in their moment, but they don't really have resonance today. They were impactful in their moment. Others, you know, stand the test of time or assert themselves at other points. Looking back, and, and we're the week of Heschel's yard site, uh, how would you categorize his intellectual theological legacy in the sense is it is it more pressing today is he more sort of a product of his time but not really pressing today um where where would you put the thought and theology of Heschel? so i would say that it's more powerful today than it was in his lifetime because in his lifetime he was really let's be gentle and say that he was underappreciated by his colleagues at the Jewish Theological Seminary, um, uh, obviously not all, but the fact that there was a tension there, I would imagine that today there would be no tension. 
Um, but beyond that, Heschel was recognized in the Catholic Church, in the Protestant Church. His one of his closest friends was Reinhold Niebuhr, the great, you know, twentieth century Protestant theologian, who had Heschel deliver the eulogy at his funeral. You have to sort of imagine the scene with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of Protestant ministers at his funeral in Riverside Church. And the eulogy is being uh, given by Abraham Joshua Heschel. So he was regarded by uh, by peers in the religious community. In fact, the joke used to be, in those days, particularly in the spring, students sat on the steps and on the sort of broad areas there in front of the seminary. And periodically, people would appear in some kind of religious garb from someplace in the world. And the joke was that as soon as you saw somebody approaching, you knew exactly where they were going, fifth floor, you know, on the right-hand side, to Heschel's office. So he he was highly regarded, but today, all these years later, I I, I not only think, I, I know from my work around the world that his importance is recognized um, increasingly by religious communities South America. There was in December a, a conference at the Vatican about Heschel. We know that there are many uh, monasteries in the United States and around the world who have one of their weekly meditations on teachings from Heschel's work. Books have been translated into dozens of languages. So um, I, I think it's more powerful today and, and more powerful in many domains. Theology, social justice, the role of religious life, in the broader world of society, all those elements have a, a, a Heschel impact. And I'd add one other. Because of the remarkable scholar, Dror Bondi, who has translated Heschel's work into Hebrew and has really brought Heschel to the attention of the Israeli audience, there is a growing and increasing, almost every day, interest in Heschel in Israel, both in the non-religious Chiloni community, but also in the religious community. It used to be that if you went to a bookstore in Mea Sharim and you asked for a book by Abraham Joshua Heschel, the, the, if the owner would get it for you at all, he would say, I've got to go to the back room and get it. It was never out front. Today, they're out front. That's right. So there's so many verticals, if you will, that we can appreciate Heschel's legacy, his work on behalf of Soviet Jewry, his work with the Vatican, uh, his work as a, an ideologue out of JTS, a post-Holocaust theo theologian. But um, today, I want to focus, you, you touched on it, on, on social justice and specifically his relationship with Martin Luther King Jr. of blessed memory. We are just days away from uh, the, the, the very day we pause as a nation to honor MLK's legacy. What was their relationship? What was their friendship? Um, how did they bond and what was the work they did together? So in 1963, there was a first national conference on religion and race held in Chicago. And Heschel reluctantly accepted the role of being the spokesperson for the Jewish people, for Judaism. And when he rose to speak, he began with the following words. He said, the first national conference on religion and race was held thousands of years ago. Its main participants were Moses and Pharaoh. Moses said, let my people go that they may serve their God. And Pharaoh said, I will not let your people go. And then Heschel continued, he said, that summit meeting, speaking of 1963, uh, speaking of minus 1963, 
That summit meeting has not yet been concluded. Today, speaking of 1963, on college campuses across the south of the United States, it is more difficult for a Negro student to cross that college campus than it was for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea. Sitting probably 10 or 12 feet in front of him in the first row was Martin Luther King. And from that moment, for the next five years, they developed a really intimate and close personal friendship. In fact, Dr. King was on his way to attend the Heschel family Seder when he was assassinated in Memphis on April 4th, 1968. So the relationship built. In fact, there's a really very powerful story. In 1967, Heschel was 60. The rabbinical assembly wanted to honor him on his 60th birthday, but it was quite a spring, 1967, prior to the Six-Day War. So they postponed this event and held it in the spring of 1968. And they asked Heschel who he would like to have speak in his honor, assuming that he would ask for some great rabbi to be the spokesperson. And in fact, Heschel said, I want Martin Luther King to be the speaker, and I want to introduce him. I was sitting in that audience. I'll never forget it. And when he rose to introduce him, he said the following, Martin Luther King is a voice, a vision, and a way. Martin Luther King is a sign that God has not forsaken the United States of America. I call upon every Jew to follow in his path, to heed his word. The whole future of America will depend upon Martin Luther King. And uh, Dr. King, Andy Young says, who was one of Dr. King's closest associates, he told us uh, at the Heschel School about 20 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago when he spoke, he said that in the heyday of the civil rights movement, the leadership carried two books in their back pockets, in their in their backpacks. One was the Bible, obviously, and the other was Heschel's book, The Prophets. And Dr. King referred to Heschel as my rabbi. So the, the, the relationship built over common ground, and it extended because probably one of the most significant moments in that relationship took place in 1967 as we were moving, the movement against the war in Vietnam was growing. And on April 4th, 1967, Dr. King came out against the war in an unbelievable talk that he gave at the Riverside Church. Riverside Church, right. And, uh, and, and Heschel was part of that program as well. He may have introduced King or he spoke after him. I don't remember exactly. I, I was there as well. But what was significant about it was that Dr. King had been very reluctant to come out against the war, not because he wasn't opposed to the war, but because he was advised by all of the civil rights leadership that if he opposed the war, President Johnson would become angered and would turn his back on the war on poverty and everything that Dr. King was trying to build. But Heschel was the one who kept after him and finally convinced him to speak out that night. And in Heschel's talk, he coined this remarkable phrase, in a free society, some are guilty, but all are responsible. And in many ways, that epitomizes the, the impact that he had upon King, because he hears his King, you can't be greater than, than King in regard to these kinds of issues. But there was a conflict there for a while. And Heschel helped King to involve the, an inner resolution of that problem and, and overcome it. And, and it was one of the most powerful talks that Dr. King ever gave. Now, you had had some personal contact. I mean, you were 
I know you were you were schoolmates with Andrew Goodman. You 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 yourself. Did you work? Um, uh, were you were you present at the funeral um, uh, in Atlanta for MLK for Dr. Well, I, King? I worked with a group of um, of friends who were both JTS joint program students and students at Columbia for Dr. King's organization, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, in the summers of 1965 and 66, as a result of learning that my classmate at Queens College, Andy Goodman, had been one of the three boys killed in Mississippi in the summer of 1964. So when the assassination took place, I and my one of my very close friends from then to today, uh, then Mickey Schur of Detroit Today, Rabbi Moshe Schur of Kew Gardens Hills, Queens, um, we were uh, asked to come to Atlanta as staff of the SCLC to assist at the funeral. And at the funeral, we had uh, three, we were given three significant roles. The first was that on the night before the funeral, Dr. Uh, Rabbi Heschel had come to Atlanta. Mrs. King wanted to see him because she had asked him to participate in the funeral service and wanted to speak with him that night beforehand. So we were asked to go to the airport, pick up Rabbi Heschel and bring him to the King home, which we did. Secondly, uh, which is a more elaborate story, maybe we'll tell it another time, but basically uh, you may remember there was a mule train that carried Dr. King's body from the, the church to his first burial place across Atlanta at Morehouse College. Uh, on the early morning, five o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, uh, one of the two mules had not appeared, and Mickey and I were sent out with a, a black farmer to his farm to get that mule and bring it back. It's a fascinating story, but the most powerful for our purposes is that, uh, again, you have to remember that in those days there was no bottled water, and there was and there were no cell phones. So every guest, and there were a lot of them from all over the world, needed to be accompanied by a staff person in case there was any need that they had of one kind or another, even without an emergency. So we were assigned to walk through the streets of Atlanta with two men. One was Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, and the other was Senator Robert Kennedy. And Kennedy himself would be dead two months later by an assassin's bullet. It's really quite incredible. As we were walking, as we were walking, and you have to remember, like, um, you know, I'm 22 years old. Kennedy has been assassinated. Now, five years later, King is dead from an assassin's bullet. It felt like America was finished. So I sort of threw up my hands and I said, Rabbi Heschel, what are we to do now? And as was often the case, he did not answer the question right away. He kept walking. And then at a certain point, he turned around and he said to me, you must teach the children. You must teach them a Judaism that can remake the world. Then he turned around and he kept walking. Heschel would say things. Yeah, you know, like that, like that end up in his books, and he would say them in conversation. I, I just point out here for the for the knowledgeable that we translate the Shinantem Levanecha in the first paragraph of the Shema as to teach them diligently unto your children. But actually, in the second paragraph of the Shema, it says Vilimaratemotam, which really is what Heschel was saying: teach them, teach them, and. Obviously, it would be a bit much to say that I have done what Heschel told me to do, but I've tried to do what he did, even though for 20 years until his 20th yard site, I had completely forgotten this exchange. 
came back to me as we were planning a 20th yard site event at the Heschel School in 1992. Well, the, the panic of this moment is that I have 8,000 other questions for you. The beauty of this moment is that I know I'm going to speak to you at our Shabbaton in just a few weeks, and people can continue this conversation. But, but with um, the Heschel yard site with MLK Day upon us, um, let me ask you a sensitive question, but one that's not so much about legacy, but about the future. Uh, it, it's the number of rabbis' offices that I've walked into, not mine, but many, um, with a picture of Heschel and King uh, walking hand in hand, arm in arm, and Selma. Um, too many that I can count. Having said that, I wonder whether we've frozen ourselves in time as some sort of halcyon days of black Jewish relations, and oh my, how things have fallen off a cliff since then. And so thinking about their friendship, thinking about their sacred work together, and frankly, thinking about where we are now today. I mean, how, how what, what would Heschel, what would MLK advise us to rebuild black Jewish relations? So first of all, there's a great quote in the recorded, one of the only two recorded interviews with Heschel, which we'll certainly make available to the members of Park Avenue to be able to see over the course of this time, in which uh, he speaks about many contemporary things in 1971, which are as awful as the things that we're facing today when you listen to what he talks about. And at a certain point, the interviewer says to him, Rabbi Heschel, you sound so pessimistic are you as pessimistic as you sound? And he says, no, I am an optimist against my better judgment. So, and, and the other way to say that is that he is a Jew. Yeah, I, in other words, part of our pity is that for many of us, our Jewish identity is so rooted in the, in the immediate. We don't have a sense of our historical context. And, and of course, for many, even a biblical historical context, but certainly over the eras where we have lived all over the world, we do not necessarily possess an optimism. We're, we're today, I may offend some people by what I'm going to say, but we seem today to be obsessed with this question of anti-Semitism as if somehow or another this has emerged as a, as a new phenomena or a recurrent phenomena of something which we saw in a in a horrible way in the Second World War, and I think neither are true. We're we're we are a dynamic civilization, and the Bible starts with a very early story of two brothers at each other's throat, and therefore this is part of human nature, and our job is to fight that human nature, and that's what King and Heschel stood for. They were forces to bring about in the world the kind of change that would address the issues of their time and not run away from them. And on the other hand, not live in a fantasy that somehow or another there is a Garden of Eden that we're living in. We're, we left the Garden of Eden. We're in the real world. Peter, one of the great, great educators and human beings of our time, from Park Avenue Synagogue to the Heschel School to Kivunim to so many other projects, I'm so excited to continue this conversation with you on January 28th at our Shabbaton. Uh, but I know this week, as we turn our attention uh, to the legacy and continued work of Heschel and King, what an honor it is to have you here 
at Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome. It was my honor. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah, back for the show.